0: Genesis chapter 19, and I will go on record right now that I am jealous of my wife who is holding my two granddaughters in the back of this auditorium. I want to say to the church family how much our family appreciates your prayers for our son. It was a long week, but we are so grateful to be a part of a Family of believers who love us so well and love our son so well, and thank you for praying. Keep praying for him. He is on the right, he's headed the right direction. Wednesday night he wasn't, but he's headed the right direction now. And we're grateful for that. We're grateful for God's grace. And I want to thank Paul for handling the pulpit last week and Andy the week before because they've set me up very well for. One, honestly, a text that when I read it, and I've read it, and I've reread it over the last couple weeks, one of the questions I have, and I don't know if you ever asked this question, I don't think it's wrong to ask this question, is, God, why is that even in the Bible? Why is that even in the Bible? Anybody else there with me, some of the texts you read in the Bible? Why is that even there? As I was studying this week, and I'd been reading the passage over and over, and then I pulled out some commentaries that i have been using... One of the commentators mentions another commentary, and I had to go search it out, and I found it, where the guy wrote that this account is unpreachable. That's what he wrote. This account is unpreachable. I'm like, oh, that's a good place to start. And quite honestly, this text deals with something. As I was talking to two brothers, two friends, Wednesday night, they were here Waiting for Awana and what was going on with the Awana ministry. I was talking to two of them, and one of them just said to me, It's icky. It's icky. And I like that. This text is icky. In fact, let's just get out there. Just say it with me It's icky. It is icky. This text should repulse us in what this text talks about. It should make us recoil. It should be like a very cold bucket of water thrown in our face this morning. But I would submit to you all sin should be that way. I would submit to you that, that our little pet sin should be just as repulsive to us. This account deals, quite honestly, with the depravity of man. We live in a time, though, when man's depravity, his depth of degradation, and society's degradation is fully seen. Don't we live in that time? I mean, literally, we live in a time when what is good is called evil, and what is evil is being called good, and and some of the evil that's being perpetrated, when I think about some of the evil that's being perpetrated upon our children, my heart recoils But I point that out to us this morning because God's Word applies to where we live today. This passage of Scripture deals with a, with a clear picture of the degradation of society. And we live in a time when it's clearly on display for us to see. So the question is, should we preach it? And the answer is yes. Last week, Paul did a great case of mentioning 2 Timothy 3:16 and 17 that all scripture is profitable. I'm not going to re-preach that to you. He did a great job with that. But I'm going to ask you a question. Because there's kids in the room this morning, and some of you are like wrestling with should my kid even be in here to hear this this morning? And I just have this question for you this morning. Would you rather your family learn about the evil in the world from God's word or from a Netflix documentary? Would you rather them learn about it from God's Word, or would you rather them learn about it from a YouTube video? Would you rather them learn about it from God's Word, or for some popular novel that's being peddled through our school system? Because those things are happening. And I would submit to you, you got a kid in the room here this morning? Don't be afraid of their questions, answer them honestly. Because the sin that's in this passage is in our world today, and there's greater sin that's in our world today. So we're going to read this morning, Genesis chapter 19, verses 30 through 38. But before I do, I am keenly aware that this passage could be really painful for even some of our church family to hear because it hits really close to home. It hits really close to home. Maybe you have a family member, or maybe you yourself were touched by something very similar to what happens here in this text. Aren't you thankful for God's grace? Aren't you thankful for His grace? So before we read this, I'm going to pray. Because man, if we need to pray over any text of Scripture, this is one we need to pray over. So join me as I pray this morning. Father, you don't hide our condition from us in the word. You don't hide the world's condition from us in the word. At times we read the word and our rating isn't even bad enough. We have to put an X on it at times. And this is one of those passages, God. And we might be tempted just to give it a cursory glance and just Read over it and say, well, that's for another time. But, Lord, this is where you have us in the Word this morning as we've gone through Genesis. And so, for such a time as this, we want to preach this and be faithful to it. But we want to be sensitive, Lord, as well. Sexual sin hurts families greatly. It destroys people. And what we're dealing with here this morning is probably some of the grossest sexual sin. But I also know this, in the end, you call Lot a righteous man, which tells me that Jesus died for the sin of Lot. And if he died for the sin of Lot, he died for my sin, and he died for the sins of these my friends in this room. So we want to tap into that grace, the grace that only you can give this morning as we look at this passage. In Jesus' name, amen. Genesis chapter 19, verse 30. Now Lot went up out of Zoar and lived in the hills with his two daughters, for he was afraid to live in Zoar. So he lived in a cave with his two daughters. And the firstborn said to the younger, our father is old and there's not a man on earth to come in to us after the manner of all the earth. Come, let us make our father drunk or drink wine and we will lie with him that we may preserve offspring from our father. or when she arose. Thus both the daughters of Lot became pregnant by their father. Go ahead and you're thinking it, it's icky. The firstborn bore a son and called his name Moab. He is the father of the Moabites to this day. The younger also bore a son and called his name ben Ammi; He is the father of the Ammonites to this day. So let's unpack this account, but I'm not going to spend a lot of time unpacking this account. It pretty much speaks for itself. But we're going to unpack it, and then I want us to see what I think the lessons are that God would have us to glean from this, because if all Scripture is profitable, there's got to be something of profit here this morning for us. What we see in verse 30 is, now Lot is afraid to live in Zoar, and so he makes a decision to leave the city of Zoar and go live in a cave. Have you ever found this to be true, that fear is never a good motivator for you? Now, sometimes fear serves us well, like if I'm, af- if I'm afraid of a bear chasing me, I'm going to run. But fear usually just isn't a good motivator, and here Lot makes a decision based on fear. And and perhaps, we don't know why he's afraid, but perhaps the residents of Zoar know the story behind Lot, and they know why Lot doesn't have a wife and why he has two daughters, and they're afraid that judgment is going to come to Zoar the same way it came to Sodom and Gomorrah, and maybe they're threatening Lot. Maybe Lot's afraid of the people he's living with, or maybe Lot himself is just afraid that God may just torch another city. I don't know what's motivating Lot here, but I know this. Lot and his daughters have now made this decision that the best place for them to live is in a cave. Now, you and I may think of some really kind of cool cave like Mammoth Cave or the Olentangy Caverns and that kind of thing. Most likely, this was just your typical run-of-the-mill cave. And in this time, most caves were used to bury dead bodies. That's what caves were used for. And so now Lot and his daughters have come to the point where his best judgment has led them to the point where they are now living in a mausoleum. A mausoleum, a place where dead people are buried. There's no light in this cave. It's a place of isolation, it's a place of darkness, it's a place of loneliness. And he's gone there intentionally because he's afraid. The second thing I want you to see in this text is, is I want you to see that his daughters were truly citizens of Sodom. They were truly citizens of Sodom. Sodom was all they knew, and it had totally influenced their thinking. And and parents, I want to talk to you this morning. The choices you make where you live, and how you live where you live, and and, and how you conduct yourself, your lifestyle, your habits, they have a profound impact on your children they have a profound impact on your children these girls absolutely took their cues from the world around them the world that they knew the world that they grew up in I want to point out to you a couple things that our text doesn't because there is this thought and I read it in commentaries and I'm like are you kidding me there is this thought that incest wasn't completely forbidden in the world of this time. Well, we know this. Leviticus chapter 20, which comes later, God's law, he pro- specifically prohibited incense in Levitic- incest in Le- Leviticus chapter 20. But there were also other laws that were recorded during this time. Hittite law said this, that, that if you were caught committing incest, you were going to be punished by death immediately. The Code of Hammurabi, remember that from your history class? The Code of Hammurabi, which, which governed all of Mesopotamia, said this, that incest was forbidden in the culture, and if you were caught committing incest, you were cut off from the culture. You were an outcast. So. Lest you think that the girl, these girls, because of their situation of living in Sodom and, and, and being so corrupted by, by the culture around them that they are innocent in this, they're not innocent in this. But they are scarred. And here's how they're scarred. When your father offers you up to satisfy the unnatural, wicked desires of wicked men, your love and your respect for your father fly out the window. And here we have, here we have daughters who are just acting like their father would in the situation. Think back to what Paul preached last week. Lot's in a tough situation. He's got these visitors who are with him. He has to protect his visitors, right? And so what does he do? He offers his daughters to the men of Sodom to do with what they would with them. He takes matters into his own hands, his daughters are now in a situation where they have no children, and if you're, a, if you're a single woman and you have no children, you have no hope in life, especially in this culture. They have no one to take care of them, and so what do they do? They take matters into their own hands. Where did they learn that, church? Their father. They learned that from their father. Father. And so Lot's daughters knew it was wrong, and they knew it was unnatural. How do I know that? Because they had to get their father what? Drunk. They had to get their father drunk. Lot wasn't in full control of his faculties, but he also wasn't completely unconscious either. And their sin results in the birth of two sons. And I have a question for you. We talk about it on Sanctity of Life Sunday. We talk about it at other times. My precious granddaughters have made their first appearance at church here this morning. Let me ask you a question, church, who gives life? Who gives life? Did God give these two lives too? He did. He did. Why? We have to ask ourselves, why? Why, God? Because we're, we're going to find out, because we, we see there in the text, that these two sons grow up and they father two nations, and these two nations are going to be a thorn in Israel's side going forward now. Why? Why, God? Why? Why even bring this shame even further? Well, because here's what we know about God. God will sovereignly achieve His glory, even in the ickiest of situations. Don't believe it? Look at the ick in your own heart, and doesn't He get the glory somehow? So that's the account. Two daughters get their father drunk, they have sex with him, and they produce children. Gross, right? Gross. What are the lessons to be gleaned in this? How is this profitable? Well, I think probably in my mind as I was wrestling with this, one of the one of the biggest things that I see is is that the lure of sin and the lie it delivers are not worth it ever. The lure of sin and the lies that sin deliver are never worth it. And it's going to be wrong, I mean, not to bring it up again. I know it's been brought up by Pastor Andy. I know it was brought up last week by Paul. But this is our last time of seeing Lot. This is Lot's last mention in the Old Testament, really. Lot did not set out to be an incestuous man. Do you know that? I believe that, don't you? Lot never set out to be an incestuous man. The lure of sin never looked that ugly to Lot. Sin didn't knock up, walk up to Lot's door one day and say this, knock, 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 I'm sin, Lot, and here I am, and I want to turn you into a man who's going to commit incest with his daughters. Sin never shows up that way. In this case, sin showed up. Sin showed up to Lot this way. It knocked on the door and it said this in Genesis chapter 13. Go back with me to Genesis chapter 13, because that's when sin showed up with Lot. Remember, Abram and Lot have so many sheep and so many herdsmen that they can't get along, and, the, and, and Abram's herdsmen are fighting with Lot's herdsmen. And, and by the way, w- w- did, did, Abram, did Abram just bring Lot along, or was Lot a key player in this all along? Abram just brought him along, didn't he? Lot was never a key player in all of this. And remember what Abram does, that gracious act where he says, Okay, Lot, here we are. Look all around. You take what you want first. You go whichever way you want. I'll go the other way. And remember what Lot did. Verse 10 of chapter 13. Lot lifted up his eyes and saw that the Jordan Valley was well watered everywhere like the garden of the Lord. He saw it and it looked like Eden to him. The appeal was there. The appeal was there. And look at verse 11. So Lot chose for himself all the Jordan Valley, and Lot journeyed east. And verse 12 tells us this, that he moved his tent as far as what? Sodom. So he got right close to Sodom, didn't he? Question for you, church. Use your minds here. Did did Lot know the reputation of Sodom and Gomorrah when he moved close to Sodom? Yes, he knew all about it. He knew all about it. He knew what it was like. And so he makes a choice based on what his eyes see. And you know what? You and I do the same thing today, church. We make our choices on what our eyes see, what appeals to our flesh, what appeals to our eyes, what appeals to our pride. That's what Lot was doing here. And so he's now on the edge of Sodom. Fast forward to chapter 14, verse 12. Sodom and Gomorrah are now taken hostage, and, and, and they're pillaged, and they're, and they're run over by that, that five-king coalition. Remember that? Verse 12, they also took Lot, the son of Abram's brother, who was dwelling where? So between chapter 13 and chapter 14, Lot has now, he's done living in a tent on the edge of Sodom. Where is he? He's living in Sodom. That's what sin does. That's what sin does. Everybody look up here. Kids, look up here. That's what sin does. It tells you that everything is going to be all right. It's all right to move into Sodom. It's all right to do this. It's it's not going to cost you anything. And all that sin is doing is, is just reeling you in. And reeling you in. And reeling you in. How do I know that? Because fast forward to where we were a couple weeks ago now in chapter 19 and verse 1. When the messengers from God show up at Sodom, where do they find Lot in chapter 19 and verse 1? He's not just living in Sodom, he's sitting at the gate. Now... You and I may not understand what that means, but let me help you to understand what that means. He is now a respected member of the community. He's a part of, it would be like him being a part of the town council. He's an important figure now in, in Sodom. He's there making judgments. He's there making decisions. He's settling disputes. That's what people who sat in the gate did. He's looked up to. Okay? He started out as a humble farmer who made it big, right? And decided that that he was going to pursue that, and he was going to make his business really big. He made his business really big, and then he decided this. I'm not a tent dweller anymore. I'm going to live in a a house, and I'm going to move into Sodom. And the people here in Sodom really like me. They respect me. Maybe Maybe he even had this game in his mind that you and I play. I'm having influence in this world that I'm in right now. And it doesn't stop there, because last week in our text we saw this. Not only is he sitting in the gate, he is doing what every one of us, when we start playing with sin, get forced to do. He's straddling the line now. He's trying to keep his foot on both sides of the line. He's trying to appease the world, and he's trying to do the righteous thing, and you can't do it. You can't do it. If in your mind right now, I don't care how young or old you are in the world, if in your mind right now you are wrestling with sin and you think that you can keep sin happy and you can keep God happy, you are woefully mistaken. You can't. Like My parents don't know about this. They don't know what's going on. I can keep them happy and keep them in the dark. You're not keeping God in the dark. My spouse doesn't know what's going on. You can't keep your spouse in the dark. My boss doesn't know what I'm doing. The leaders of my church don't know what I'm doing. God knows what you're doing. You can't keep God in the dark. So he goes from right there with Abram to the edge of Sodom, to a house in Sodom, to the gate of Sodom, to straddling the line, and now where does he end up? In a cave. Make no mistake. Sin will always take you to a dark, cold place. Always will take you there. That's always the destination. That is always where the final destination is. It's always to a dark, cold place. Sin delivered far more than Lot wanted, didn't it? delivered far more. He delivered, he got a lot more than what he signed up for, didn't he? He signed up for the green garden-like atmosphere just outside of Sodom and he ended up living in a cave. Can I point out to us that the world and the world system are literally programmed to suck us in that way? That's what Satan's doing. He, he, He knows what he's doing. He wants to suck us in incrementally, systematically, before, and we're getting more trapped and more entangled and more trapped to the point we can't get out, and the next thing you know, we're in a cave and there's no way out but through Christ himself. So I think the first lesson here is is that sin always takes us farther than we want to go, doesn't it? The second lesson here, and I want to talk directly to dads and grandfathers. Dads, grandfathers, our sins have devastating effects on our children and on our children's children. Amen. Devastating effects. What's interesting is, play what if with me. You ever like to play what if? If I'd only invested in Microsoft or Apple, right? What if, right? What if Lot had humbled himself... And it said this, you know what? I'm not running over the hill this way. I'm running over the hills on the other side, and I'm going to run back to Abram. I don't know this for sure, but the command in the text that we had last week was the angels, the messenger said, go over the hills and depart. Get over the hills, remember? Do you know if he'd have gone west? Instead of east, he'd have gone over the hills and he'd have ended up where? With Abraham. But you know what? To go back home means you have to humble yourself and eat some humble pie, doesn't it? To return to, return to Abraham means you've got you to say, you know what? You were right and I was wrong. But if Lot had humbled himself, just play what if with me, would there have been plenty of young, eligible men in Abram's household for Lot's daughters to kind of, you know, kindle their romance with? Do you, think, do you think that Abraham had some good men servants that he had trained that would be good men who would have been honorable men, would have been marriageable men? Just, just what if? Lot's pride literally devastated his family. And men, our pride will have great detrimental effect on our children, our grandchildren. It'll be worse for them than any junk food that you ever feed them. We're so worried about what our kids eat, but we're not worried about what our kids are consuming into their hearts. I'd rather your kids be totally obese and drinking Mountain Dew and Oreos all day and have a right heart with God. Don't quote me on that. I know... I'm looking out at the pediatrician, and he's just like, <laughs> and it's out on the internet. <clears throat> you understand what I'm saying, though, don't you? We're so consumed with what they're taking in, in, in physically that we're not consumed about what they're taking in spiritually and mentally. I mean, when was the last time you evaluated your school's curriculum? You might want to do that. You might want to do that. And Lot's habit of managing his sin produced two daughters who had no moral compass at all. No moral compass at all. Because his moral compass had been pulled so far from true north that his daughters had followed him and their compass was way off. Dads, grandfathers, you better make sure your compass is pointing to the true north of Jesus Christ because your kids are going to follow you. Where are you leading them to? So secondly, the sins of the father have great devastating effect on the children. Thirdly, there is a long-term effect in sin. How many of you are like me I get caught in sin, and I, and, I, and I do. I get genuine sorrow over it, and I want to repent of it, and I want it to all be fine and no more consequences. How many of you are like me? Problem is, sin sin produces long-term consequences. It's always more devastating. I was thinking about it this week. It was back in November that my son had the surgery to cut the cancer out of his body, Right? And after his surgery, after his recovery, he looked good, right? Many of you saw him. He looked good, right? But then he had to go through the consequences and the chemotherapy and all that stuff. And that stuff just literally kills you. Some of you have dealt with that. Family members who've dealt with that. You know, it'd be enough to just go through the thing where we have to cut the sin out, but we have to deal with the aftermath of it, don't we? We have to deal with the aftermath of it. And the aftermath is, we now have two very visible products of sin: a kid named Moab and a kid named Ben Ami. Do you know the Moabites and the Ammonites, along with the Ishmaelites and the descendants of Esau, the Edomites? Four, Four people. Four kids in our Bible in Genesis. Those four son or products, you know, Moab, Benami, Ishmael, and Esau. All four of their descendants proved to be a thorn in Israel's side for a long time. But in spite of this, God uses these nations for His glory. Ruth, who is in Christ's line, guess what nation she was from? Moab. Moab, even here in the cave when all this gross stuff is going on, in the mind of God, he's got some redemptive purpose in it. And aren't you so thankful for that? Which tells me this, in all the ick in my life, God's got some redemptive purpose in it. But I just want to warn us, the appeal of the world is just as strong today as it was in Lot's day. It wants us to act like it. It wants us to think like it. Have you figured out that the world doesn't care really what your beliefs are as long as you just kind of think like them and at least verbalize that you think like them? It wants us to perform like them. It wants us to look like them. It wants us to be like them. Come a little closer, the world is saying. Gain our respect. Just cozy up close to us and nothing bad will ever happen. That's a lie from the pit of hell. And so I ask myself, what's the cure to all this? You know the cure and I know the cure. It's called the gospel, right? It's called the gospel. Because because here's the thing. And I know I'm talking primarily to people today who who have been saved by the gospel. The gospel is still, the gospel didn't just save you one time. The gospel continues to save you according to the Bible. And I want to tell you, we need rescued from the world around us. And we need the gospel to do it because here's what the gospel does. Every day that I remind myself that I am a sinner, just say by God's grace, the gospel keeps me humble. And the longer I stay humble, the better off I am. As soon as I start to get prideful, I begin to think that I can handle the world around me and I can't. When I remember what God had to do and the way he did it and that he had to send his son to die for me, it ought to humble me every morning when I rehearse that. If you're not in the habit of doing this, I would say that you need to be in the habit of doing this every morning when you get up. Along with your Wheaties and your orange juice, you need to proclaim the gospel to yourself. Why? Because you need to be reminded that you're just a sinner saved by God's grace. Every stinking morning. Right? Right? I have to be reminded that I was dead, and that I was blind, and that I was willingly rebelling, and that Christ shone his light into my heart and brought me to life. I have to be reminded that he gave me his righteousness. I have to be reminded that he justified me, and that he daily is sanctifying me, and I have to be reminded that the gospel guarantees me of something that sin can never deliver, and that is the glory of inheritance with Christ. Turn with me to 2 Peter chapter 2. I told you Lot's not mentioned anymore, but, but Peter brings him up one time in 2 Peter. And Peter's talking about the judgment that's going to come to false teachers and purveyors of the gospel. And if you were an ABF this morning and thought I was a little hot, you wouldn't have liked Peter. Peter was really hot about this. <clears throat> And he says this, verse four, if God did not spare angels when they sinned, but cast them into hell and committed them to chains of gloomy darkness to be kept until judgment. And if he did not spare the ancient world, but preserved Noah, a herald of righteousness with seven others when he brought a flood upon the world of the ungodly. And if by turning these, the cities of Sodom and Gomorrah to ashes, he condemned them to extinction, making them an example of what is going to happen to the ungodly. And if he rescued who? 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 Say it. You mean the guy who committed incest? Church, that lot? Church, that lot? The icky one? You know what? If you're in Christ, you can put your name where Lot's name is. And if he rescued righteous Dan, you mean Icky Dan? Yeah. And if he rescued Righteous Paul, you mean Icky Paul? Yeah. And Righteous Aaron, you mean Icky Aaron? Oh yeah, Icky Aaron. And California Andy? Yeah. (laughs) I like that. That's going to be a new name. It's (laughs) sticking. He's now Pastor (laughs) C.A. But notice what Lot, notice the description of Lot, greatly distressed by the sensual conduct of the wicked, for as that righteous man lived among them day after day, he was tormenting his righteous soul. It's really easy. It's really easy, isn't it, to fall into the path of Lot? We, we live, we live with the unrighteous every day, don't we? And it torments our souls. And in some ways we make it even worse, don't we? Because we just like, we go out there and we willingly consume whatever they're giving to us, right? We just gobble it up, right? The only way to get through that is in verse nine. The Lord knows how to rescue the godly from trials. The way out is through the gospel, it's through Christ. And I'm so thankful for Christ Because what the gospel does, what Christ does, is He takes all of the icky, and in a way that you and I can't ever begin to describe or fathom, He makes it all beautiful, doesn't He? He makes it all beautiful. He doesn't leave us in the cave. Praise His name. He doesn't leave us in the cave, and at times... We may not be participating in what Lot and his daughters are participating in. At times, we live our lives and we put ourselves in the cave, don't we? With the way that we sinfully act and live. And God loves us too much to leave us in the cave. He rescues us. I don't know what you're wrestling with. Maybe you're not wrestling. If you're not wrestling with sin this morning, just thank God because it's nothing you did. It's what he's doing. Okay? But if you're wrestling with sin this morning, the only way out is through Christ. The Lord knows how to rescue the godly from trials. He knows how to do it. We don't know how to do it, but He does. Run to Him, run to Him. Father, what what grace. And what a reminder Lot did nothing to be declared righteous. Good grief. He, he ran to the city of sin. He pitched his tent next to it. Then he moved into it. Then he became one of the respected members of the city of sin. And then he watched it burn up. And then he ended pretty badly. But yet... You declared Him righteous. I'm so thankful that in Christ we can be declared righteous. For those in this room who are wrestling with sin in their lives, if they're not the children of God, maybe today would be the day that they would run to Christ for salvation. For those in this room who are His children and they're wrestling with sin, maybe today would be the day that they would run to Him and find that He rescues us from our caves. We thank you for Christ and for his grace. In Jesus' name, amen.